For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's Andy. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, I'm originally from Liverpool, uh, as you can probably tell. Um, and tonight I want to share with you and, and talk you through something that we've been looking at in the youth department over the last four or five weeks. And it's a concept that we've kind of borrowed from a church in America, a guy called Andy Stanley did a series on this, and we have kind of nicked it, developed it, adapted it, um, and it's been really, really powerful, and actually I've been really challenged as I've prepared for the youth sessions that we've done, and I've spoken to the young people, and we've unpacked it, I've been really challenged about stuff in my life, and I thought it'd be a great idea to share it with you guys, and the concept that I want to talk to you tonight about is something called crash barriers. Now, crash barriers are all around us, and yet we don't notice them. When we drive along the motorway, they're there down the central reservation, they're down the middle of Manor Way, they're everywhere you look, and they are there to protect us from danger. It is safer to crash into a crash barrier than it is to hit the real danger. If you have an accident on the motorway, they're there to protect you from spinning out of control and into the oncoming traffic. It's safer for you to hit those. They're also there like on the edge of a cliff because it's safer for you to hit that barrier than go off into the uh, danger zone, which is the cliff or the edge of a bridge. And what we've been looking at is how do we avoid life's danger zones? Because no one ever plans to go into a, into a marriage and it break up. No one ever plans to get addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography. No one ever plans to end up in financial debt and crippling debt. No one ever plans for this stuff. But we just don't plan not to. And what we've been talking about is this concept of setting up crash barriers that aren't necessarily right next to the danger zone, but are set a little bit away from the danger zone. And it's almost like a matter of conscience that... You make decisions that your conscience flares up before you get even closer to the danger zone. So that if you do have a little bump and a little crash, it's not a disaster. So we've been talking with the young people about all of that. And it's all inspired from a verse in Ephesians. It's a guy called Paul. And he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, there was loads of crazy, crazy stuff going on in there. And he says this in Ephesus. Ephesians 5, verse 15, and it should come up on the screen. It says, be, caref- be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Um, and it goes on to say after that, um, it says the days are evil. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole the days that we live in are evil because that's not something that I like to talk about. But I do think our world tells us to indulge. Our world tells us buy, spend, get loans, get uh, get loans with 20,000 APR on them, like get ridiculous, spend, consume, get everything that you want. If you want it and you deserve it, then get it. And our world tells us that, but then when we end up flat on our face and broke, the world stands back and goes, well, aren't you an idiot? Can't, Can't you handle your finance? Can't you control yourself? And actually, we have got to learn to live not as unwise but as wise and you know for young people it's such a key area and actually it's a key area for me if you're a Christian here tonight you I can pretty much guarantee you have had somebody say to you in your time as a Christian well that's not very Christian is it 
It's the most frustrating thing in the world. And you're like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, I know. That's really not very Christian. Um, And actually, these crash barriers can help us. And the first thing that I want to say about crash barriers is they've got to be specific. You know, we... uh, Just before this series that we did with the young people, we talked about sex and relationships. And one of the pieces of advice that winds me up the most about sex and relationships is this piece of advice. Don't have sex until you're ready. Because how do you define when you're ready? You talk to a 15-year-old boy whether he's ready for sex, and he will tell you he was born ready. (laughs) Like, it is very difficult... When you're all loved up and infatuated, you don't know when you're ready for sex or not. It's such a rubbish piece of advice. Another piece of advice is please drink responsibly. (laughs) What does that mean? Like, does it mean use plastic cups so if you do get a little bit drunk and you drop it, it won't make a mess? Like, and how do you define drunk as well? Is it like when you've had one? Is it when you're over the legal, legal limit to drive? Is it when you can't speak anymore? Is it when you can't walk? Is it when you're getting your stomach pumped? Like, how do you define it? So, so a really key part of the crash barriers that, that you set, they have to be specific. And some of the crash barriers that, that I've set and me and my wife have set together, um, I want to share with you some of them just so you don't think I'm talking and telling you what to do. I've put some of these in place in my life as well. Um, One thing that we have said is that we will never take out a loan other than our mortgage. Now, I'm not saying you should all do that. I'm not saying if you've got a loan or whatever, you're a bad person. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying before we got married, I got myself into a little bit of debt because I was an excited boy with a credit card, and I was like, yeah, and then learned the consequences of it. So we don't want to end up back in that disaster zone of ending up in debt. So what we have said is we will not take out a loan that is a, other than our mortgage so that we can be really responsible um, and honouring with our money that we have got. That's one of our crash barriers. Another crash barrier that we have set is that we won't watch horror movies. Now again, if you watch horror movies, this is not a judgement thing at all. This is just where, where, where I am and where me and my wife are. Because the thing with horror movies is they do have a lot of a influence from the devil and influence from dark stuff. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. And I'm sure most of us would say we don't ever want to be influenced by that stuff. So what we, what we have said is that's the danger zone. We don't want to be influenced by that stuff. So we have set up that crash barrier to say we are not going to watch horror movies. We don't watch programs about ghosts and that kind of things. I'm not saying you're a bad person if you do, but that's just a decision that we have made. And one other crash barrier that we have set that's a little bit different is we put in date night. Does anybody else have a date night with their partner or husband or wife? Me and my wife, we do a lot of youth work. We, we do a lot work a lot of evenings. So we wanted to make sure that we prioritised each other and prioritized our relationship because the danger zone is we could get six months down the line and look at each other and think I have no idea who you are so we said each week our date night is Thursday night we spend Thursday night together nothing goes in the diary without talking to each other we go to the cinema go for a meal take the dog for a walk or just stay in but we make sure that we prioritize each other because we don't want to end up in this disaster zone where our marriage begins to fall apart. These are some of the crash barriers. And actually, 
Um, tonight, you know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, I really think this stuff can work for you as well. Like, it's not just a, if you're a Christian, you must live like this. Actually, if you're not a Christian, this is some really wise stuff. It's about living not as unwise, but as wise. Um, and what I want to do is I want to look at some crash barriers live in action in the Bible. Um, because when you understand the concept of crash barriers, you see them all through the Bible. You see people who you're like, man, you should have had a crash barrier right there. And then you see people that do put these crash barriers in place. So I want to read to you uh, from the start of the book of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 1. It will come up on the screen, um, so don't stress if you've not got a Bible. And it says this. In the third year of, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, the, in, the treasure ha- and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. If you're struggling to picture that, you can just picture me. (laughs) Um, He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, the name Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And now here's the crash barrier. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink. I bet you everybody else was made up with them at this point and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. I think it's a, it's a brilliant story, and actually, if you want to know the rest of the story, go home and read the rest of the book of Daniel. It's a really great story. And um, 
Daniel sets up this crossfire that he is not going to eat the royal food and the royal wine. And there's not, there's not an obvious reason why. It's not like it's against his religion. It's not like God goes, Daniel, don't eat the royal food and wine. Like, it just, it's not that obvious. But I think, and like Daniel is not sat there reading the rest of the book of Daniel. He's, he's in his situation. And I genuinely think if Daniel didn't put this crash barrier in place, the rest of the story of Daniel doesn't exist. And I think the reason why he did it is the Babylonians were coming to try and take over the world, essentially. And they were trying to drown out any culture that wasn't the Babylonian culture. So what they would do is they would take locals and take people and, and immerse them in the Babylonian culture and they would immerse them in the king's service and they would slowly chip away at their identity. That's why he changed their names. And then one day they would wake up ready to serve in the king's service and, have, and be Babylonian through and through. And Daniel almost sees this coming. It's kind of like, um, I've been here three and a half years and it's kind of like, when Leon called me to offer the job, he, you know, he calls me and goes, Hi Andy, um, yeah, we'd like to offer you the, the position of youth pastor uh, on a few conditions. Um, the first thing is that you need to grow a bit of facial hair uh, because you know, I've got a goatee, Simon's got a bit of facial hair, you just need to do that to fit in. Um, the second thing you need to do is you need to buy a check shirt. Um, <laughs> Leon's not wearing a check shirt today, but Simon is. Someone's got to represent. And the final thing, Andy, that you need to do if you're going to take this job is you need, you need to lose that silly accent. Because um, it's just, like, I wouldn't have taken the job, would I? That would have been so foolish. Because my accent is part of my identity. And actually, it's part of the package of me. And Daniel sets this crash barrier because he doesn't want to lose his identity. And he doesn't want to forget about God. And he goes, I'm not going to eat this amazing feast because I'm going to rely on God and I'm going to eat vegetables, and I'm going to drink water. I'm not going to drink the royal wine. And he does that because he doesn't want to end up Babylonian through and through. And actually, there's a real cost and a temptation to this crash barrier. Imagine being Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the food hall when everyone else is eating steak and Yorkshire puddings and all sorts of incredible Nando's. Like, imagine they bring all that out and then you're served a bit of celery. Like, the smell, you'd be like, I bet you, like, it only says as well in the passage, it only says that Daniel chose to, but then the other three boys follow. Like, the other three boys have been like, Daniel, can, can we please just, just have a little, can we, I'll tell you what, I'll have lemon and herb Nando's, how about that? Like, it must have been so tempting. And actually, when we set crash barriers, it doesn't make temptation disappear. And it doesn't make the tension of wanting to do more than we should disappear. But what it does is it moves that tension further away from the actual danger zone. Um, and what I love about this is it's really interesting that the crash barrier that they set not only protects them from becoming Babylonian through and through, but it gets them to where they need to be. It gets them to the point in the story where they need to be. Does anybody uh, go temping bowling here? I know Simon does, because he's got the shoes on for it. <laughs> um, you can see them later. They are definitely stolen from ball packs. <laughs> um, 
when you go 10-pin bowling, and you, I like to play 10-pin bowling when the barriers are down. But it's always frustrating when someone in your group wants to play with the barriers up. Because you make one mistake and your ball ends up in the gutter and you get that little dash against your name and you've got no points. And then they come along and they can throw the ball at right angles and it can bounce off all the barriers all the way down and then they get a strike. And you're like, how on earth is that fair? And actually, those barriers are similar to the crash barriers that we can set. Is that actually, God can use those crash barriers that we can set to get us to where we need to be. You know, one of the things about uh, not setting crash barriers is we think that we think that, that it will create more um, more moments for us to share our faith. You know, we might think that not not setting a a, um, a crash barrier about alcohol and saying. So one of the things that we've challenged the young people on is, you know, the Bible's really clear about not getting drunk, and we said. Well, if the Bible's really clear, how do you avoid getting drunk? So we've talked about, you know, when you go to parties and stuff, committing to only have one or two uh, drinks of alcohol and saying, I won't drink any more than two drinks. And that's a challenge. And actually, one of the things that, that uh, is the challenge with that is we might say, well, if I have a few more, then I'll be more confident to share my faith, and they will be. And, uh, and actually, it doesn't really work like that. Um, and what I want to talk about is the now God moment. Check this out in verse nine. It says this, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. You see, the, when we set crash barriers in place, I believe that some now God moments can occur. And I think a lot of those now God moments, if you're a Christian, can be about sharing your faith and can be about talking to your friends and your family about God and about church. Like I said, often we think going down the, the road that our friends are going down and our colleagues are going down, getting involved in office gossip can mean that we become more accepted and then we will be a, more, a closer friend and then we'll have more chance. But actually, when you, when you firmly plant yourself on the right side of a crash barrier and a lot of your friends and colleagues don't set those crash barriers in place, who do you think they will go to when they hit life's danger zones? Because when you have those crash barriers in place, you become a person who is trustworthy, who has got integrity, who is somebody who people look at and think they've got their life in order. Now, you and I know that we're not sorted, but people will look at us and think, they're a person I can go to. You're not going to go to the gym and ask somebody who's in worse shape than you to personally train you. So why would somebody come whose life, whose life is in a mess come to somebody whose life is equally in a mess? We've got to get on the right side of crash barriers, set them in place so that then we can begin to show people who Jesus is. It creates opportunity. It gets us to where we need to be. You know, I'm not saying, I'm really not saying that if you put crash barriers in place, you will get promoted at work. That's really not what I'm saying. But God uses it. You know, like I said before, if, if these crash barriers don't exist for Daniel then I don't think the rest of the story of Daniel occurs. There's no Daniel in the lion's den. There's no Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. If you don't know that story, you really need to read it. Um, and actually, in a really practical sense, it, it kind of makes you more employable. Like, if we're talking about work and stuff, if, if you are seen by your employers to have crash barriers in place and be living 
as wise and not unwise, your employers will notice that. And I'm not guaranteeing promotion, but you will become more likely to get that. I really do believe that. And then the final moment that I want to look at, we looked at the now God moment. I want to look at the God gave moment. This is in verse 17. To these four men, young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Um, when I was about 14 or 15, I grew up in a Church of England church, an Anglican church. It was quite traditional. Um, but they wanted to encourage the young people, and I was one of three young people. Um, so they, um, I was elected onto the PCC. Now, the PCC stands for Parochial Church Council. It essentially means sitting in a room and talking about what color paint we're going to paint the walls. And uh, as a 15-year-old, I was, I was involved in those meetings, and, and my dad was on the PCC as well, and I'd often say things, and my dad would be going, you really shouldn't say that. You it's not changed. Like, 20 years on, I'm sat, in, I'm sat in meetings, and I say stuff, and Leon's going, you really shouldn't say that, Andy. <laughs> You're laughing, but it's so true. <laughs> but when I, as a 15-year-old young Christian, I really got a sense that I didn't deserve to be in that place. And I thought, what on earth do I have to offer? And I began to pray. And I began to pray and say, God, I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to teach me how to be wise. And I got friends to pray for me that God would give me a gift of wisdom. And one of the really specific things that I began to pray is, God, would you make me wise beyond my years? And what was interesting is over the next couple of years, three or four times people came to me and said, you know what, Andy, I really see that you're wise beyond your years. And I'm like, well, that's because I prayed about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I genuinely believe, like when we set crash barriers, God can give us stuff, and particularly wisdom. I'm not standing here saying I'm wise. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying God wants to give us wisdom and God wants to grow wisdom. I want to be known for someone who is wise. And I don't think we ever make it to being fully wise. It's a journey, not a destination. But I, I want to say, God, would you give me more wisdom? God, would you give me what I need to, to stay on the right side of the crash barriers, to, to do what it is that you are calling me to do? You know, one of... Um, the things that really drives me in my job is it really winds me up when, when young people reach the age of 18, 19, go off to university and into the workplace and walk away from their faith. It really winds me up and it really drives me to do what I do. And I genuinely believe that 50% of the battle is teaching young people how to make wise decisions. Because if we can get wisdom, we can understand the places that we shouldn't go and the things that we shouldn't do. And you know, the Hebrew word for wisdom, here comes the deep stuff, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokhmah, and it refers to the skill of a craftsman. And when it's used in this sense, it literally means skills for life. And when you want skills for life, who better to go to than the author and giver of life? Oh man, I need some wisdom. I need God to give me the gift of wisdom. So, what I want us uh, to do together is I'm going to invite the band to come uh, and play in the background. And I want us to um, stand together in a moment and uh, I want to pray for the gift 
of wisdom. I want to pray that God would give us wisdom, give us the ability to make wise decisions. And some of that starts with putting crash barriers in place. It might be that you're sat there and you're going, I've got some crash barriers, I can see that, I can do that, yep, I, I get it. Now you've put a phrase around it, I can see loads of crash barriers that are set in, set in my life. But it might also be God challenging you to put some new crash barriers in place. To say, actually, to get you to the next step that you need to go to, you need to put this crash barrier in place. Because I can see what God did in me when I was 15 has got me to where I am today. Man, I want to put some crash barriers in place and ask God for wisdom to get me to where I need to be over the next 10 years. So would you stand with me, please, guys? And if, if you want to receive a gift from God, it's as simple as that. And why not just hold your hands out in front of you and say, God, would you, would you give me wisdom? Or would you help me to be more wise? Would you give me the ability to make wise decisions? So God, we thank you that you are already here. God, you've been, you've been moving and speaking to us. God, you, you are here. And God, we thank you for what you did in Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God, we thank you that you gave them wisdom. And just like you gave them, you can give that to us tonight. So God, we ask that you would you would give us the gift of wisdom. God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would help us to make wise decisions. God, would you give us those skills for life that we need. And we're just going just gonna to wait a moment as the band play and just allow God to to speak to you. God might speak to you from a, a still, small voice inside you. It might feel like it's your conscience. It might be God speaking to you. God might have already been speaking to you, but we're just going to wait and allow God to, to challenge us. sense that some of us have already hit some danger zones and we're in the midst of a danger zone, in the midst of a storm like Leo talked about before and I just felt God saying there's always a way back there's always a route back and I feel like God's saying don't be condemned about tonight don't look back and say, I wish I had. 
but look forward and say, now I'm going to, or now I'm not going to. I feel like God was saying it's a, almost a moment in time for you. One of the things that we said to the young people through this series is, you've got a choice to put these crash barriers in place. You don't have to. No one's going to be checking up on you. But you've got a choice to do it. But we can pretty much guarantee that if you look back in a year's time and you've not put crash barriers in place, you'll regret it. And you'll wish you had. Just get that sense of God saying there's a moment here for you to go and move forward. I'm getting as far away from that danger zone as possible rather than flirting with the edge of it all the time. So God, I pray. God, would you pour out your grace and your love on us? God, where we have hit life's danger zones, where we've messed up, where we've got it wrong, where we've made foolish decisions. Oh God, I pray that we would know your grace and your forgiveness. God, I thank you that there is always a way back to you. God, there's always a route. God, I pray that tonight would be a moment in time, a moment in history where we step forward and the past stays behind us and we press on forward into the future. Jesus, we thank you that you're so gracious, but God, you love us enough to teach us and help us.